back to Kill Rock Radio here on KillRockRadio.com. My name is Rocky, back up in this motherfucker, uh, just trying to keep a conversation going with y'all. First show of the new year, so I want to actually go into, and this will probably be the bulk of the show, I want to go in and kind of go through some of my very favorite uh, releases of this last year. We do it every year, it's an annual thing, it's the best shit I heard this year. Uh, 2023 edition now as we flip uh, into 2024 on top of it of course we'll get into your comments we we will continue this conversation that's been running about you know Phil and Pantera and stuff like that we got a ton of response to uh, the ace uh, Fraley I'm trying to say a lot of people kicked my ass about it I'm trying to say Fraley but odds are it will not stick so uh, we'll see because I've said ace freely my whole fucking life 2023 actually turned out to be a really good year for rock music. There were a lot of really kick-ass releases. We're going to go ahead and look into that as we've now flipped into 2024. A lot of great shit on the horizon. Let's look back at the very best shit that I heard this year. Now, before I get into the list, this year I've expanded to 10. In the past, I've always done top fives. Uh, So I might run through this a little bit faster just to make sure we can get through everything. I will absolutely miss an album or two that you were like, fuck, how is that not in the list? Here's the thing. If I didn't hear the whole album, it's not included because I feel like it would be bullshit to shoehorn something in just because it's the hot shit or whatever. For example, Sleep Token is not on my list. Not because it wasn't good. You know, the song, the jams I heard very well done tremendous vocalist really well produced all that shit it's the hottest shit in the world right now in in terms of rock music yet they are not in my top 10 list because like every time i start listening to sleep token you know you couple jams you're into it you're fucking grooving and stuff like that every song so goddamn long it's interminable at times i don't have an extremely long attention span So every goddamn song is eight minutes. Like if you're with a gal and uh, you want to listen to something that's not just completely fucking insipid and awful, uh, it's great for that shit. But I haven't, if I'm honest with you, I've never made it through the whole album. So I I feel like it would be disingenuous to shoehorn it in just because it's the hot shit. So there will be things missed. These are the 10 best albums I heard this year. So... With that being said, let's get it started, shall we? Number 10. Okay, this is quirky, admittedly, but I fucking loved this album. It's God is Dead by Twin Temple. Twin Temple, I, uh, I, I was first introduced to them via Ghost because they were the opener, like the secondary opener for the big tour with uh, Ghost, Volbeat, and Twin Temple. And, uh, and they've got such a weird sound because it's like, imagine uh, like the Ronettes meets um, Amy Winehouse meets just gen- the general concept of Satan. Twin Temple is satanic doo-wop music. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Twin Temple is composed of Alexandra and Zachary James, who are actually a married couple and claim to be practicing Satanists. Twin Temple had actually been at the uh, center of a controversy when Alex Jones discovered them 
And Alex Jones, of course, he's big about, you know, God and the devil and shit like that. And uh, he publicly denounced Twin Temple and uh, said they were, quote, the embodiment of pure evil. You know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. The band received death threats, threats of violence at their shows. That seems like pretty much the last shit Jesus would do based on what I've read. Laughable, man. <laughs> or maybe you have it, uh, maybe they could do the Bible as a fucking uh, audio book read by Tucker Carlson. You don't mess around with God's America. <laughs> and he can break it down and let you know who the fucking uh, SJWs are in the book and <laughs> fucking whatever. If you look at this album, every fucking song, uh, let's have a satanic orgy, two sinners, black magic. If you're a fan of like the dawn of rock and that music, what a fucking amazing sound. Whenever I listen to Twin Temple, it's like wrapping a warm blanket around myself. I feel so fucking uh, just uh, comfortable and safe uh, just because of the sound, not because of Satan. In terms of the production, they do a great job of giving it a very retro sound. When you first listen to Twin Temple, the first thing that jumps out at you is the vocal of uh, Alexandra James. Her voice is so perfectly set in this style of music. Well, I'm in the mood for distraction. Don't be afraid of You should check them out if you've never heard them before. Next, um, we got Spirit Adrift out of Mesa, Arizona. They put out a pretty badass album this year called Ghost at the Gallows. When I first listened to Spirit Adrift, because I hadn't listened to a lot of their older shit, this shit sounds classic. It sounds like, you know, time-wise, I can't necessarily put a time to it, because good metal is timeless, I believe. But uh, it reminds me very much of, like, early 80s, late 70s style jamming. A lot of that original British wave, it all comes together and makes a very, very classic stew. So this is one of those albums, it does not matter if you're old, if you're young, if you're middle-aged, if you are somebody who is into heavy metal, You'd probably like this album, so check it out, give it a chance. It's Spirit Adrift, Ghost at the Gallows, get that motherfucker. Next, out of Santa Cruz, California, we have Drain with the album Living Proof. Drain really took me by surprise this year. Uh, I guess they're considered a hardcore band. I don't tend to look at shit in terms of those uh, subgenres and stuff. My whole thing is, does it kick ass? Yes or no? In which case, if the answer is yes, I'm rolling with you, motherfucker. That's how I do it. So when I first heard this band, it was their lead single, Good Good Things. I don't know how the fuck that's not playing on the radio or anything like that. That is a great, great fucking song. Uh, the lead singer, Sammy, this fucking guy's name. Okay, Sammy Ciara Mataro. Somebody tell me how the fucking goes. Give me a phonetics. But uh, you see, I'm gonna call him Sammy C. 
I saw Sammy C and this fucking guy looked so normal that it scared the piss out of me. The fucking guy just had like little like short khaki shorts that were like so short that it was uncomfortable. I get in that. You know what I'm saying? You look around at the rest of the band. He said, these are just some fucking dudes. Like, what are, how are these guys capable of kicking ass? They have no look whatsoever. But then you get the album and it's fucking explosive, dude. If you hear good, good things, that's a, it's a great single, but it's not super representative of what the rest of this album is like. I mean, from the opener, Run Your Luck, FTS, great riffs, uh, you know, chugging, ass-kicking jams. I went and I saw these motherfuckers live, uh, Drain, that is. It was in the middle of this last summer, which is the hottest summer on record. Uh, I was there with a lady, and she. it was so fucking hot in that room because there was just, it was such an intense show there was so much moshing, motherfuckers diving off everywhere. It was like a, a new form of torture. It was like being in a fucking sauna, but then you have to do calisthenics. And the, the energy these dudes had, the fans fucking stormed the stage. At some point, the fans took the goddamn uh, microphone from Sammy C and started singing themselves. And that wildness, that energy, that is what this album is all about. Drain with living proof. Now we've, uh, I mentioned twin temple. That's a husband and wife combo. We've got another husband and wife combo here, Mario and Sarah Quintero, and they go by the name spotlights. The album is called alchemy for the dead. When I first started listening to this, it's really hard to kind of say what they are. Like I said, I don't subscribe to subgenres, but at the same time, Normally, people apply subgenres to you, and th this band was interesting to me because I would hear different things from people, and they always said something different. Somebody was like, "Oh, it's like you know, kind of uh, uh, ambient with like a Deftonesy." You know what I'm saying? Like, and then it, it it occurred to me: is it maybe like a shoegaze element uh, crossed in with metal, crossed in with? I don't know, man. And that's what was so, um, I guess, fascinating to me about Spotlights. There's a um, an extreme moodiness to it. Uh, it's I, I don't want to use emotional because people then link it back to emo. But I guess there is like there is a, a heavy emotional element uh, to the music. It's, it's a huge sound, similar, I, I guess maybe that's where a Deftones comparison might come in. You know when the Deftones go into those giant soaring fucking choruses, crossed with maybe like some uh, Sunny Day Real Estate, you know what I'm saying? Because you know like Sunny Day Real Estate would go quiet and then you just cross this tipping point into just this giant fucking beautiful noise. But uh, but yeah, if, if you're if you're somebody who was who's into like uh, soundscapes and uh, sorry, dreamy shit and like fucking heavy, heavy distortion and the vocals are, are sort of almost not the main thing of this band. I feel like it's like the vocals kind of float on top of what is essentially an extremely dense musical composition that is alchemy for the dead by spotlights next we got a band out of atlanta georgia 
It's Royal Thunder with Rebuilding the Mountain. This band, they're workhorses. I've seen them around bars and little shit dive venues. I mean, probably like even maybe 10 years back. And I remember seeing them and what always struck me was their vocalist, Melanie Parsons. She has one of the most emotive voices I may have ever heard. Musically, it's it's such a, a a fucking crazy mix. I almost hear elements of like doom, but then it's like country, and then uh, you know blues and uh, fucking southern rock and uh, just fucking pain when when i first started hearing this band melanie was married to the guitarist josh weaver um and then for their previous album crooked doors they had broken up so they had gotten divorced but the dude was still in the band if you could imagine how fucking weird that must have been how um i guess awkward even if like because people are like whoa you know we're good friends it can't not be weird like god damn you could just constantly hear this this longing and a fucking like need and it lives in her voice so every time i hear her she just breaks my fucking heart and uh josh is still in the band i believe they opened for alice in chains recently if you're into like you know driving uh emotional southern sounding music you should definitely check this out it's rebuilding the mountain by royal thunder next we have a uh, an album by the pride of gothenburg sweden it's avatar with dance devil dance these guys you want to talk about energy i mentioned that with drain i can't even understand like i don't know if they have like a fucking central source that they plug their cocks into or something to give them this power but these dudes never stop and uh, avatar's deal is that they consider themselves like a traveling metal circus and they're all about you know bringing fun and joy and dancing and shit like that back to metal i love their vocalist uh what's his name johannes johannes eckerstrom this motherfucker can wail on a really high level so yeah i've followed avatar for a bit uh over the last few albums and I initially really loved what they were doing with their last album, Avatar Country. They tried to do like a funny album. I, It's one of my pet peeves, dude. I do not like when metal tries to be funny. It's not, uh, it, it doesn't lend itself. Anyways, Avatar Country to me was a misstep. I didn't fucking like it at all. And it, in fact, I liked it so little that when the new album came out, I was kind of, uh, you know, like iffy on if I was even going to bother. So I'm glad I did, because on this album, they they drop a lot of the gimmick. Uh, Avatar, one of those bands, they paint their, well, the lead singer, Johannes, he he paints his face. Uh, the rest of the band, they all wear like circusy, like ringleader type regalia. The, the lead singer, like I said, he's a fucking powerhouse. He can do so much. I feel like earlier, 
there was more uh, concentration on the growling and all that shit. But this dude can really sing. At least they were doing something different. Uh, I feel like uh, in America and in the UK, a lot of the metal is it, it's cookie cutter. It all sounds the same. Like, I don't know what everybody's trying to do, but it's it all ends up becoming one big globulous mass of bullshit. Um, in terms of the, you know, stylistically, this shit is super high energy, super aggressive. That's kind of like the stated purpose of that band. I know I've heard those guys say that they are not into like metal where it could be played sitting down. They think you should be jumping around, getting crazy and shit like that. They dropped all the comedy. This album is fucking way more serious, way more ass kicking and um and yeah i'm a big fan of it y'all should check it out dance devil dance by avatar next we're gonna go to some british metal it's tesseract with the war of being if you listen to the channel oftentimes i shit on uh the glossy modern style of metal this kind of took those tropes and just did them better than everybody else to the point that like you, you had to respect it and you had to say, fuck, that's, that's pretty good. And that's what Tesseract did to me. They pummeled me into respecting them at first. When I started listening to it, I almost felt like, Oh God, it's like metal for gamers shit that you would listen to while you're playing elder scroll and most newer metal songs out of America and the UK, they follow this thing where like, you open with some sort of ambient techno-y sort of thing and then you drop your fucking main riff and it's real heavy and then you get into the quiet singing then you get into the, the the screaming you know this band even you know it's one of those bands where you have the singer and the screamer and normally i don't buy any of that shit i don't like that shit but as i said these motherfuckers do it so well that you cannot help but jam there's a lot of groove to it that's why like one of my buddies referred to it as progressive and i said well shit is it really it's got too much groove like when i think of progressive i think of sort of like lifeless um you know show off you know jack off super fast playing and shitty lyrics and you know classic progressive metal shit and that's not the case here and it's progressive in a different way like the the uh the, the rhythms are really interesting there there are time shifts as i said it's just it's done at a level that is so spectacular that you cannot help but love it you will be jamming and like i said you put this motherfucker on while you're playing like some god of war something where you're like fucking up trolls where you've got like a sword and shit you play one of those types of games you put on tesseract you get some of that shit uh, some of that sativa and you just kick ass for hours and hours it's a great time tesseract the war of being now we're getting here into the last three these final three are in order i loved these albums in the order that i am presenting them now everything before here you it's a mishmash it's all really good there's ups there's downs whatever these three albums i really fucking loved so let's get into it i'm going to start off representing boston massachusetts it's Gozu with Remedy. 
I've looked around at some other people's best of shit on the year. And this is one album that I have not seen any fucking wear. So I don't know if maybe I'm like the only asshole who knows about this, but this was absolutely one of my favorite albums of the year. This shit, like I love Southern shit. I love stoner rock. Um, and this fucking checks every box. When you listen to goes, if you're somebody who's into like down, it's not just stoner rock lead singer slash guitarist, Mark Gaffney, this motherfucker is dropping obese riffs. Holy shit. These riffs are huge. And then on top of it, this, this dude sounds like pepper Keenan from corrosion of conformity. Amazing singing voice, amazing riffage, huge, huge groove. I have no idea how these guys aren't bigger than what the fuck they are. This band, you know, it is a stoner band at its core. So um, it, it almost it does remind me of like a fucking badass weed strain. You know how like nowadays, if you go to buy weed, you, you don't just buy weed. You fucking get like the whole life story of the fucking strain that you're getting. Dude, it's like you take fucking gelato, lemonade, whatever the fuck, and you cross it. Dude, you love Gary Payton? Dude, what if you take Gary Payton, you cross it with this motherfucker, now you got Scotty Pippen. And uh, and that's sort of what Gozu is. Gozu, there's several parents that have been mixed, and this is the strain that comes from it. I hear, uh, I heard a lot of Alice in Chains style um, harmonies. As I said, lots of corrosion and conformity. This is, if you're somebody who's into COC, you will like this band. Unless you think they're a ripoff of COC, which is possible. Uh, the, the guys are older. I think this is probably one of the reasons why maybe they haven't gotten over so much. The guys are older. Uh, they're not a bunch of fucking Adonises and shit like that. They're just like middle-aged guys like kicking ass on such a high level. I recommend this album for every motherfucker, unless you got no soul, in which case you won't give a fuck about this. People, uh, that, like, th there's a lot of jamming in this. I'm trying to look for negatives. If you're somebody who's into, like, snappier shit, then uh, you, you'll probably roll your eyes at this. But there is, it's not just that. I do get uh, some grunge elements. Uh, I get a lot of different stuff out of this band. Gozu. Remedy, you absolutely gotta go check that shit out. I'm telling you, which leads us to our next album, the number two, the second best album I heard all year long. This album comes to us from an Australian band. It's King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard with Petrodragonic Apocalypse or... Dawn of Eternal Night, an annihilation of planet Earth and the beginning of merciless damnation. That's a hell of a name for a fucking album. King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard are so weird. The first time I had ever heard them, there was a song they did called uh, Planet B. 
off a previous album that would like, I heard it and I said, holy shit, this is like, this is like fucking Black Sabbath uh, reincarnated. Who is this? And so I start looking up all this King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard stuff. These guys put out a billion albums. They're all completely different genres. I mean, there's shit that's like jazz, there's folk, and they just happen to make a couple of metal albums that just happen to be completely fucking awesome. I mean, the things worth doing. We're doing right. It's really hard to believe that a band that could bring such heavy shit could also at the same time be responsible for such kind of quirky shit. This album is retro, very retro. If you're somebody who's into to modern metal, you're going to say, oh, this is for fucking nerds or whatever. But holy fuck, this is a good album. The creativity by these dudes is so off the chart. You cannot help but be in awe of these motherfuckers. I believe they put out like five fucking albums in a year before. They play long shows and they put every show up on their website for full fucking download along with art if you want to do bootlegs and shit. So the band has had several members over the years, but the, the one uh, constant has been Stu McKenzie who uh, just does all kinds of shit. I mean, this motherfucker plays sitar. He plays clarinet, saxophone, uh, keyboards, flute, bass guitar, percussion, and guitars on top of being the vocalist. And like I said, it reminds me very much of like Black Sabbath era metal, but like you cross it with more like occulty type shit. I get very like, you know, early D&D nerd type shit from this. That's the vibes that it's that it's putting out there. If you're a fan of classic metal, this is a fun, fun, fun album. These guys are also superior musicians. And when you listen to it, it's it's got such a uh, it's like simultaneously retro and then futuristic. It's it's brilliant what they've done here. You know, with Gozu, we refer to being like a stoner band. Dude, if you're a fucking stoner, this will blow your fucking mind out. That's some heavy shit, man. If you're a D&D nerd, you'll love it. Uh, the songs, I will tell you, are long. They're long, but they, they all, uh, the way they're composed, there's different movements to it and shit like that. So you almost don't get lulled in like it is a super long song. I'm looking at my notes here. Every now and again, you hear all kinds of shit. It's hard to even nail it down. And like I said, sometimes it sounds like Sabbath, but then there are moments where you'll go into it. It's like, dude, this sounds like fucking tool or something. Like, honestly, I can't listen to a lot of their other shit, but when these motherfuckers get together to do a metal album, it is gonna be a thing. You better go check that motherfucker out. If you haven't heard it yet, it's King Gizzard and the lizard wizard with Petrodragonic Apocalypse or Dawn of Eternal Night, an annihilation of planet Earth and beginning of merciless damnation. Having gone through all of those, those are all great fucking albums. I really do, like none of this is bullshit. I have listened to these albums. I think these albums are cool. Y'all should go fucking listen to them. But this album is absolutely my favorite album of the year. To me, these, these motherfuckers take shit to a level that is otherwise uninhabited. It's Code Orange, the above. Yeah, 
Code Orange, you know, they started off as like a hardcore ass band. Too, and that's, you know, they have a fucking cult ass following from those early hardcore albums when they went by the name Code Orange Kids. To, to kind of look at th this band and the, the entirety of their career, back in the day, by the time you heard a band, let's say, for example, uh, thinking back to the 90s, let's say uh, Soundgarden. By the time you had heard Soundgarden, they had already put out a couple of independent records that you probably never fucking heard, and they were uh, polished and sharpened by being on the road and shit like that. So by the time you saw them, you were seeing a finished product. Whereas today, people release everything they ever fucking do. And by the time you get to the point that you're uh, becoming famous, you've already got like five, six albums out. And you see that with Code Orange. And you, as a result, you've been able to see their evolution and what they've become. And it's so impressive how far they've come and how much potential they have going forward. Uh, they have two vocalists here, but it's not a situation where you have the screamer and the singer or whatever. They both scream and sing. Jamie Morgan is like a straight up fucking vocalist. On the early albums, I think he would lean too hard on the screaming and shit like that. This dude has a good fucking voice. And on this album, you can start to hear it in parts. He's doing a lot of different shit uh, with himself vocally. And I think the entire band is better as a result. Uh, Reba Myers, I've talked about her in the past. To me, I think she's one of the most talented motherfuckers out there right now. You can tell she's worked on her voice because from album to album, it gets better and better and better. And at this point, her voice is fucking gorgeous. Uh, she she holds the guitars down like a motherfucker. Code Orange are one of those bands that like I point to them as an example of how uh, backing tracks are done correctly. A lot of recent Code Orange albums, like they have these really weird transitions in between the songs. The, the, the albums almost are every song is connected and it's telling a story and all that shit. And then within every song, there are weird like breakdowns and shit where there might be distortion noises or like audio drops or little clips or shit like that. And I believe it's my boy Shade Balderose. He's a multi-instrumentalist. He's like one of the fucking MVPs for this band because when you see them live, he's doing backing vocals, he's doing keyboards, but he does the, the programming, the electronic percu percussion. So all those drops, all those backing clips... It's not shit that like the the singers need uh, to to sing their songs. It's shit that is uh, is adding to the song and linking the songs and shit like that. A lot of people in this argument of oh backing tracks or no backing track, they lump everything together and they see you know for example Motley Crue using backing tracks to cover up the fact that they can neither sing nor play their instruments anymore. They, they see that as the same thing as Code Orange using, uh, you know, uh, backing tracks to link their songs or having little programmed electronic bits that play with the song. You know, everyone is playing their instruments. All the singers are singing. Everybody is doing their part. And, and my boy Shade is in here dropping in all the fucking backing bits. And I mean, it's a thing to behold when you see these motherfuckers live because there's a million things going on. Musically, it's difficult. It's There's a lot of shit shifting around. 
and you see them live and it's just tight like dick skin. Ooh, and it's tighter than dick skin. Amazing, amazing live band. Everything you hear them do on this album, they will do that shit live. It's really something fucking amazing. And, and this album, more so even than any of their previous albums, it, it's gone in places that I've just never heard them go. There's a huge grunge element here. You go to like, you know, Taking Shape or something like that. Fucking Billy Corgan's on that fucking song. Show us Show us it really is an assault on your senses. You know, one thing that makes Code Orange kind of a throwback band for me, even though if you listen to them, that shit is like futuristic sounding almost. As I've mentioned, I'm a child of the 90s. So, of course, I'm one of these motherfuckers that fetishizes all the 90s things. One thing that made the 90s bands fucking great is that nobody sounded like each other. You know what I'm saying? Uh, like, if you were a fan of metal, if you were listening to uh, Maynard James Keenan and Tool, or you were listening to, you know, Rob Zombie fronting White Zombie, or you were listening to, you know, Phil Anselmo front Pantera, or any of the, the big metal bands of the time. I mean, you can run off forever. Fucking Soundgarden, Alice in Chains, Corrosion of Conformity, Rage Against the Machine. None of those dudes sound alike. Everyone was completely fucking different. And when I look at Code Orange, I try to say like, okay, who does Reba Meyer remind me of? And there's fucking nobody. Who else is, who else is like her? I mean, in terms of her, her voice at this point, like I got to go almost back to like, like a Chrissy Hind or a, or a Pat Benatar. Um, she's got like a, like a husky voice, but it's like. It's pointed. Her voice is like a contradiction of itself. It's so goddamn beautiful. And at Jamie Morgan and really the entire band, you got to give them all a shout out. Shade Balderosa, uh, John Goldman, Dominic Landolina and Max Portnoy. Yes, that's Max Portnoy's son of Dream Theater drummer Mike Portnoy. Uh, the band is super intense, super tight, super badass. This album is kick ass from top to bottom. There is not one fucking stinker on here. If I had to point out specific songs, uh, Take Shape is a badass song. Mirror, uh, I Fly is a kick ass song. Splinter the Soul, Grooming My Replacement, Snapshot, But a Dream is a kick ass jam. It's pretty much a totally badass fucking album. And, and Code Orange has been consistently putting out super high-end product, and they need to be recognized for being some of the baddest motherfuckers around today. There's definitely like a horror element to it. Music is no longer just audio. It's a, it's a full immersive experience. And that's what Code Orange, Orange brings to the fucking place. Like when this album was first coming out, they put out a YouTube video. It was so funny. It was called, um, it was like, you know, Code Orange Slams Modern Critics or something. Very clickbaity, very YouTube title. And the, uh, the thumbnail was like Reba, like she was, you know, how every fucking YouTube thumbnail is the face of the fucking idiot who's talking and then, you know, whatever to try to hook you in. And it was one of those. And when you go and click the video, 
it's just like torture. <laughs> it's just like a long video of torture. And then at the end, they had a new song. They dropped all this shit. And uh, the videos are all sort of linked together. Amazing stuff. Amazing stuff. Code Orange, the above. Absolutely the baddest ass shit that I heard all 2023. They're out on tour now. As I said, if they come to your town, baby, you got to get down because it's going to be a good ass time. Although their shows are fucking intense. Be ready. You will get sweaty. You may have to defend yourself. I don't know. It depends on how small the room is. Code Orange, go check that shit out. Anyways, moving on. All right, so I'm going to go ahead and get to your comments. Info at killrockradio.com. Get up in our DMs, comment on our shit, and you just may make it into this, uh, this segment here. So most of our comments had to do either with, uh, <laughs> with Ace Fraley and, uh, and how he felt about the Kiss avatars and also more and more of what appears to be the endless argument of is Phil Anselmo A, a Nazi, B, responsible for the deaths of the Abbott brothers, C, uh, is Phil a douche, or I don't fucking know. But uh, so we have a lot of stuff about that. I'm going to do a little bit less of that stuff because I mean, we can't have this same fucking argument every week. So let's go through the Phil stuff real quick. So not to get super bogged down in it, but uh, Sniffle Hankel says this isn't Phil's first time doing something like this. He delivered a speech about white pride during a concert in March 1995. There is a video of it on YouTube. So his actions at the Dime Bash 2016 event was nothing new. That being said, no, I cannot forgive the motherfucker. Uh, next, Steve Rambo says metalheads don't like that pop bullshit, but will support this dude digging up the corpse of his former band and parading it around for money after both founders died. Regardless of circumstance, this was Vinnie and Dimes band and Phil should have respected their wishes. There's more than one way to pay tribute to. Fair enough. I, I, we're going to have to agree to disagree, y'all. Because I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. Vinnie Paul in his lifetime said that he did not support a reunion, a quote unquote reunion with uh, Zach Wilde in place of Dimebag. He didn't support it. It's done with such love for those motherfuckers. And once again, it's how we're keeping these motherfuckers alive in a way. But I, I see where you're coming from, dude. Next, my homie OCD Recording Johnny says Phillips Band Down rehearses at our studio. My boss knows him well, but I've been around him enough times to tell you that, that the way he talks in interviews is very different than in person. He's actually a pretty mellow and easygoing guy. He's very funny. We all have faults and make mistakes. Most of it has just happened to be in the public eye. That's another thing. Phil has been famous since he was 19 years old. I think this dude's like in his late fifties at this point. I don't know his exact age. When you've been famous for like 40 fucking years and somebody's like, oh no, no, you're racist. Remember that one show in 1995? Next, uh, The Electric says in this genre of music in particular, people take an I'm evil and powerful attitude and I can do whatever I want building a persona around it 
So is something bound to happen for someone like Anselmo? In the other hand, there is people like this guy that don't take things seriously and even disrespect his audience. So I say, fuck this dumb idiot YouTuber. And also I'm going to apologize for that. Oh, thank you. So all is good now and we can move on, right? Listen, Electric, there's no need to apologize. I don't, we don't know each other. I don't give a fuck what you say about me. I don't give a fuck what you think, bitch. But, but yeah, we're good. Hey, well, we can move on. It's fine. I don't know. Okay, next, uh, Mike, Mike Olive, Mike Olive. I don't believe Phil is responsible for Dime's death, but I see you coming up as a Phil apologist. He is in fact a hardcore racist dude. And to a certain extent, so was Dime. I know those are hard pills to swallow, but the proof is in the pudding. Dime was a real cool dude, but it doesn't take much to look at the innuendos. But as to Phil, the dude is deep into that rabbit hole. Denying that and playing down that card makes you look dumb. I, I understand anyone who would see this shit and say you're coming off as a Phil apologist. To say that Phil is a hardcore racist, when all the proof that people have of him being a racist is like just out of context. If you see the context around it, it all makes better sense, and it's more so covered by the fact that Phil's a fucking edgelord, and he just does dumb shit. Now that I've seen that alternate video of him actually getting heckled by those dudes, I don't know, I fucking believe it. You could say I'm an apologist, you could say I'm a fucking idiot, or whatever that other guy said. It's just how I feel. Now, to say that there were a ton of innuendos with Dime, you're wrong. It's not being an apologist. I feel that's just a frivolous way of pushing your own narrative of Phil and Dime being hardcore racist. So you're saying Dimebag was a really cool dude, but he was a racist? Like, what have you ever seen from Dimebag Daryl, other than the fact that he had a Confederate flag on his guitar and one time he referred to a white guy by the N-word? Other than that, which is like so minor, what would lead you to say, oh yeah, he's a racist. What is it? He's Southern. He's a white guy. He's kind of a hick. Phil, I understand once again, if there's video of you throwing a Heil Hitler and shit like that, screaming white power and all that stuff, some people will never believe that you're not a racist. So, okay, I get it. With Dimebag, there's really nothing there. If you took the fucking, uh, if you took the Confederate flag thing away and, and, and to, to even judge him by that, you're not looking at the context of the time. There were still states the, whose flags had Confederate elements in it and shit like that. It was not, uh, it was before everybody started sort of looking around and saying, holy shit, we have a lot of Confederate shit around here. But, you know, before then, people kind of didn't give a shit. And there were a lot of people who saw the Confederate flag as more of a, a symbol of the South in general. And that's how Vinny and Dime were into that shit. I feel like you're making some pretty big leaps to say that Dimebag specifically was a racist. Next, uh, my homie, I don't mind, uh, refers to when I, I commented about, you know, sometimes you go out of town and your buddy fucks your ex-girlfriend and then you get someone to kick their ass. He's saying that happens. I'm sure it does, but it's not a common occurrence. I, I threw that out there without even thinking, but that's like some real shit. I won't get into big details. Basically, I threw a party. Uh, my buddy was out of town. His girlfriend came to the party 
and she got fucked by somebody at the party. Smells good. I don't know if it's my burrito or your vagina, but it's turning me on. And I ended up getting blamed sort of by proxy because it was my party and I let it happen. Uh, listen, first off, it, check your girl. Tame the cunt! Imagine you're like a young adult. You're just barely starting to get laid. Some girl just offers you some snatch at a party. You're not going to turn it down. It's just not realistic. Um, especially your drink and all that stuff. Anyways, so in the aftermath, it just, the whole thing fucking blows up. And my buddy got so mad that he started trying to like get people to come kick my ass and kick the other guy's ass. And I got a gun pulled on me and all that shit. But I mean, we did all end up just being friends again when it was all said and done. You know how shit goes. Well, uh, this is Texas. So I don't know. That's, that's the only way I can explain it. I don't get why you're making excuses for the guy. Are you that much of a fanboy of white power, Phil? Not that I'm so much of a fanboy, though I am. I'm a big fan of Pantera in general. But uh, I just, I hate that people just throw that shit out there. Uh, you know, racism is like today's scarlet letter. And, and once again, people just throw that shit out there. And especially now with how shit is on the internet, motherfuckers just get stuff and run. Nobody looks into anything. Nobody looks into context. Nobody gives a fuck. They have their narratives and they want to push it because the internet is about arguments and fighting and shit like that, you know? Next, my homie One Deep says, no, Phil's not responsible for Dime's death. That's a sick thing to put on somebody. It's like no one understood Dime's spirit. You think he'd be vengeful? You think he'd want someone blaming Phil for his death? I don't. Not the dime bag I saw. The man has to live with what happened the rest of his life. He has to be everyone's punching bag for why Pantera's not around anymore. Fuck that. You know, I absolutely agree with this because the fact that anyone would say that Phil has anything to do with, with not only Dimebag's death, but also Vinny's death. Imagine if you're Phil and you lose these people from your fucking life. It's got to be a bummer. And on top of it, there are people out in the street saying it's your fucking fault, screaming at you that you're a fucking racist, shit like that. That's a, that's a tough thing to fucking put on the guy just because you fucking run off at the mouth, which is a thing he does. Next, Kindred Soul says, all these people putting down Phil like they're fucking perfect. Get real. Vinny and Dime were awesome. It was very tragic th that they're done. But to say they are Pantera, if that was the case, why didn't Damage Plan get bigger? Not against Damage Plan. I own the CD as well. All the hate mongers start shit. Let me tell you, it took all them to make the Pantera machine to make it. Let it go. Just like the song yesterday don't mean shit. Tomorrow is not promised. You know, referring also to the, the previous message. Dimebag's uh, life partner, his old lady, Rita, Rita Haney, she has said a million times that she really believes that, of course, the band would have gotten back together. They were mad in the moment, but that everybody was pretty confident that one day they'd figure it out and they'd get it back together. It's just when Dimebag was murdered, it that shit caused a rift that just, it was never crossed. Vinny did blame Phil on some level for Dime's death, and Vinny blamed Phil for Pantera falling apart. Really, if you wanted to, to talk about, like, you know, the butterfly effect or whatever and link that back to Dimebag's death, 
It's true if Phil never leaves Pantera, Dimebag would have never been playing some shithole club in Ohio. He'd have been playing a big venue that probably would have had better security. Next, my homie Humorous says, never saw that alt footage. Looks like Phil might actually be telling the truth about the hecklers. You can't hear them for sure, but yeah, you cannot hear what's being said from the crowd. So we can't be sure that they were calling Phil a racist, but Phil's reactions, uh, if you, if you kind of juxtapose them with the interview he did with Eddie Trunk, they're, they're what he said he did. So it, it does look like Phil's probably telling the truth there. And if you say, okay, these guys are talking shit to him. They're calling him a racist. There's a guy trying to pull Phil away and Phil, that's when Phil throws the Hitler salute, looks at those dudes and screams white power. He was in that sense. It looks like he was antagonizing those dudes, but the reality was he totally fucked himself in that moment. Anyways, we'll go ahead and uh, that'll be it for the Phil stuff for now. I'm sure people will have more stuff to say when it comes to Phil Anselmo we also had a ton of reaction to the uh, the Ace Fraley story. I've been trying to say Fraley. Many of you kicked my ass because I call Ace Ace Freely. That's the way I've always heard his name said. It, to me, it's only recently that I've heard people saying Fraley. I probably will fuck it up. I will probably still say Freely time to time, but I'm going to try to incorporate that into my lexicon. My homie Barry Klein says Ace blew it. Simple. I don't know enough of the history to say one way or another whether Ace fucked himself. Uh, Mike Syria says Tommy and Eric are gone. They were just paid to imitate Ace Fraley and Peter Chris. Paul and Gene don't need them anymore. I guess you're saying they're going to be fired now that they uh, captured their form and can turn them into weird digital avatars. You know, that's actually a good point because, I mean, maybe they would have to pay them less because they're not the Catman and the fucking alien are not proprietary to Tommy and Eric. So yeah, you know, maybe that's, that's a good way to cut them out money wise. Could be next. My homie warrior says, I predict that this idea will fail miserably. It's hard to see it being a huge success, but you never fucking know. Next an anonymous user says the same Tommy that used to bring him sandwiches also had to teach him how to play a guitar properly again. Uh, Ace, I've heard him admit that his style is sloppy. Um, and then I've also heard a lot of people say that Tommy is truly a better guitar player at this point than Ace Fraley. Fucking Tommy's playing Ace's jams. It's tough to say. And they continue. This is a Gene Simmons idea through and through. Absolutely. This screams Gene Simmons. Next, my homie Woody line says, on the end of the day, Tommy Thayer has much more class than Ace. Never said a bad word about the guy, but Ace always belittles Tommy. Why? Ace left Kiss. Did he think they will quit after he left because he's irreplaceable? No, he should shut up, promote this album without bashing Tommy. Well, I mean, look, there's clearly an element of Ace being butthurt that Tommy continues on wearing Ace's makeup. Ace brought up that the, the guy looks just like me, but and that's why he brings up he can't play like me and all that shit. But uh, but yeah, there there's an element of butthurtedness. Next, my homie the Chad Ti says VIP tickets let you stand next to the screen for a picture. 
Yeah, maybe you can go stand by the pane of glass, but you can't touch the glass. You'll fucking get your prints on that motherfucker. God knows what'll happen then. Next, uh, part-time Pope says, I think it's just like the Pink Floyd laser shows. You wouldn't put it on par with an actual concert. If they think there will be sold out concert tours for real ticket prices, they're dreaming. Licensed avatar performances in planetariums, festivals with them playing the hits. They pop up in Fortnite, VR and AR stuff. There's all kinds of shit they can do. I agree with this, actually. If you were to take this concept and put it in like specialty venues that can handle like a, an immersive a 360 type experience. There's very few, very few in the country. I think this could be very lucrative, but not on the level that Kiss are thinking. They want to put on stadium shows with fucking video game characters. It's just not going to happen yet. The, the technology is not there. In regards to the Tommy Lee sexual assault allegations, we got a few here. Next, Sean Giuliani says Tommy is a creep. Even posting full naked in his 60s. Bruh, no one wants to see a 61-year-old dick. Not even the owner. Look at my hard dick. Isn't it right? LMAO. I can't say too much because I made an entire video about his dick. <laughs> Respect the cock. But it is true. When you think about the reality of him being a 60-something-year-old man who has, like, adult children... And he's posting that big juicy cock. Calm down, girl. Next, uh, my homie Morticia Heisenberg says 20 fucking years ago, get the fuck out. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. But this OMFG, I am so super a victim 20 years later is such a bullshit money grab. I haven't heard uh, the plaintiff's entire story. I guess, you know, if this does go to some sort of trial, we'll hear the whole thing out. But, you know, you raise a good point, you know, 20 years ago, if you're Tommy Lee, this dude was doing so even 20 years ago, if you think back in reality to, you know, that's oh four, that's like methods of mayhem. He's out on Ozfest. Odds are he was getting caught up in all kinds of bullshit. It's possible that he would have no recollection one way or another. Uh, so, I mean, who knows? Maybe, as I said, maybe on the, the part of this woman's lawyers, maybe there's a gamble that he won't even fight it. He'll say, shit, I don't even know. I'll just pay her. How much will it cost to make her go the fuck away? Maybe that's, maybe that's the gamble. Next, Wicked Wabbit says, I mean, the situation is fucked if it's true, you know? My whole thing is it's 20 years ago. Is it not just a case of hearsay now? Like, how do you prove it? Where's the evidence? My opinion, just curious. And, and Joe, like I was just saying, that's absolutely the case. It really is one person's word against another. If Tommy wanted to take this to some sort of trial, I don't know what type of evidence would be presented. Um, and who knows what receipts there may be. I mean, they haven't gone into discovery or anything like that. So there's really no way of knowing what evidence she may or may not have. And uh, I guess we'll have to keep you all up to date on that. On that note, I'm going to go ahead and end it with that. Uh, thank you guys so much uh, for all your feedback. Info at killrockradio.com. Or as I said, just get up in the DMs and we can talk about shit from week to week. Thank you guys so much. So really quick, uh, before I go, I want to give a shout out to our sponsors at Amazon Music. Where right now, if you go to getamazonmusic.com slash killrockradio, all lowercase, no spaces, 
get amazonmusic.com slash killrockradio and you can get a full month of Amazon Music for free, on-demand music ad-free, the most ad-free top podcasts, listen offline with unlimited skips, experience the HD and spatial audio difference. And after that month, if you want to keep it going, you can keep it going for a low monthly fee. If not, you throw up the deuces, you walk off, you don't pay a damn thing. Once again, that's getamazonmusic.com slash killrockradio. Thank you very much, Amazon Music. Thank you to the Kill Rock Radio audience. We will keep this conversation going next time. Until then, I will talk to you crazy motherfuckers later. Peace. Got any questions or comments? Send them to info at killrockradio.com. To keep up with the latest and catch up on past interviews and clips, search Kill Rock Radio on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Subscribe to Kill Rock Radio wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm like, oh my God, just listen to it already. Wherever you listen to podcasts.